Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. We're in the book of Habakkuk, and I hope you'll just grab a Bible. I want to jump right into the passage and read it with you. We're in Habakkuk chapter 2, and we're going to look at just four verses, verses 1 through 4. So if you want to grab a Bible, give you a second here. Also pull out your phone and take a look. We're looking at this obscure minor prophet we really don't know a lot about, but wrestling with God. And this prophet helps us to understand What does it look like to walk with God in difficult times? So let's jump in. Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 1. The word of the Lord. I will take my stand at the watch post, then station myself on the tower, and look to see what he will say to me, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The book of Habakkuk helps us to know what it means, what it looks like to walk with God in difficult times. You know, when times are good, I think good times teach us, but they they cause us to believe false assumptions. And in good times, whether you've had a good year or a series of years, maybe a couple of good decades, good times cause us to believe that good times are the norm Bad times are the exception. And if that's where you are, I want you to know you are blessed beyond measure. For most people, bad times are the norm. Good times are the exception. You look over the history of the world, and certainly in Scripture, it's telling us we need to be prepared for uncertain days because the fact is you and I are not in control. And in a time like this, we have to realize I can't control what tomorrow will bring. As much as I want to see a certain thing happen, there is one God who is sovereign over all, who knows all, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is in control and it is not me. I need to rest in him. One of the things that this book of Habakkuk teaches us is that we are simply limited. And hopefully by this point, you've experienced some of those limitations. But let me tell you the joy that's found in this book is when you take your limitations and bring them into God's presence, you take your weaknesses and bring them into God's strength, joy starts to happen. When you find his grace is sufficient, when you find his power can be perfected in your weakness, and you can draw with your limitations into God's strength and character, There is joy in times of difficulty because God is enough. Now today, we're going to come to the central theme of this book. And the central theme is the righteous shall live by faith. What is necessary for us to walk through difficult, uncertain times? What scripture will say is what is necessary is faith. And in verses 1 through 4, basically what we're going to do is discover what does it look like 
to walk by faith. Because see, Habakkuk is a minor prophet that's wrestling with God. He's angry because the good times are gone, the bad times are here. He turns to God, and in a time of prayer and crying out to the Lord, the Lord responds, Habakkuk, I know it's bad. I can see it more than you can, but realize it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. What a great way to answer prayer, God. Hey, it's going to get worse, and Habakkuk's in this place, and he's crying out to God, but the beautiful thing about this book is instead of running from God, even when he gets an answer he doesn't like, Habakkuk presses deeper and deeper into the character and the nature of God. He teaches us what it looks like to walk by faith. And here's the first thing that he shows us. In verses 1 through 4, what's necessary to walk by faith is we need to learn to wait upon the Lord. We have to learn what it means to wait on the Lord. And maybe you've heard somebody say that. Hey, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Now, what does that mean? What what does that mean for us? Well, let's jump back into the passage. Pick it up in verse 2. As Habakkuk is hearing from God, After his second complaint to the Lord, when the Lord says, hey, it's going to get worse, God again responds to him in verse 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. What Habakkuk is waiting upon is God's answer to his questions, to his challenges. And God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, it's coming, but it has to await its appointed time. Now, in the New Testament, we know what this means because, see, between the Old and the New Testament, there was some 400 years of absolute silence. And then in Galatians, it says, when the time had fully come, when the appointed time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, that God has an appointed time in which he shows up and he speaks. And he's saying to Habakkuk, though it seems as if it will delay, though it seems as if time is going slow, wait for it. To to wait for it means simply to be patient. It, It means to stand firm. It means in chapter one to remind yourself of who God is. He says in chapter one, God, you're still my rock. You're still my fortress. You're still my refuge. You're still my salvation. I'm gonna press into you. But in this time of challenge, I've got to learn to wait upon the Lord. Psalm 27 captures it this way. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. See, in times of difficulty, the first thing we have to learn is to wait. Now, what we're going to discover as we go back in verse 4 is there's two philosophies that govern difficult days. Two ways of responding when life doesn't work out the way that we anticipated. Two ways of thinking about difficult times. Watch this again in verse 4. He said, first of all, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The first approach to life, and this is something all of us respond with, is to be puffed up within ourselves. Now, that language of being puffed up is an uncomfortable feeling in the Hebrew. It literally means to be distended, to feel bloated, 
but not bloated just internally because of what you have eaten. It's rather bloated internally in terms of how you see yourself and how you view God. When difficult times come, sometimes we have this sense in which, God, you're not doing it right. This isn't how things are supposed to go. If you'd get on my plan for the universe, God, uh, you'd see that this isn't the, really the direction we need to head in. And what happens is there's this internal pride. There's this recognition that maybe I'm omniscient. And, you know, suddenly I've understood the ways of the universe and I see things better than God. And when difficult times come, one of the danger is our soul can get puffed up. And because of that, we are not right within ourselves because we're not right with God. Now, in James chapter four, he describes this. I wanna, I wanna play this out just a little bit. In James four, James describes this challenge this way. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town, spend a year there and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, James is not against planning. He's not saying we shouldn't plan ahead for the future. Rather, what he's addressing are the assumptions that are often underneath our planning. That beneath our planning, we assume, I know what needs to happen. I'm gonna go to this city. This is what's gonna happen. Here's gonna be the outcome. And when you move out into the world in that way, you're setting yourself up. Habakkuk is saying, James is saying, you're setting yourself up for false expectations because in the end, it's the Lord who is in control. Often, I think our anxieties point to false expectations. They, they, they point us to a reality, a future that maybe we've kind of drawn in our mind or a vision of God, an understanding of God and our anxieties, our fears, our frustrations point to the fact that our expectations are not being met and God, you're not living up to who I think you should be. The reality is we become puffed up within ourselves. Now, if I can confess for a moment, uh, I know what that feels like. I know what it is to be extended in your own ego you know, when this whole pandemic happened in the first two weeks of the doors of the church being shut down, I think we start off just trying to figure out what's next. You spend the first few weeks just kind of getting things set and maybe you experience that as well. Now for us, we had Easter coming. So we had a, a lot of pressure in our minds thinking, how's this gonna work? But as time went on, I realized I was, I was grieving, but I was also really angry. Now, I didn't wanna admit it. I think I just took it out on the people around me. That's often what we do and we're, we're our expectations aren't met. We give ourselves permission just to be a jerk. And I certainly was that jerk. Hopefully you can forgive me. But see, in that time, here's what happened. I had certain expectations and I had certain ideas about how well the church was doing. And I thought it was doing pretty well. Hopefully you feel the same way. But I, I was meeting new people that were coming in the doors of the church and I was helping them assimilate. I was excited about the steps of faith that people in our church were taking. I was excited to see some new small groups, some growth groups get started. And when our doors shut, I thought, wow, all that good stuff, God, it stopped. Why would you allow A, B, and C to stop? This is what was necessary, God. And now I have no idea how those new people are doing. Now I have no idea what those steps of faith look like. No one's getting reconnected into these groups. God, this isn't the way things are supposed to go. And almost through Habakkuk, as I've been studying it this week, God's saying, Jason, you're really puffed up. You are not right 
within you. Your expectations of life and who I am and who you are, you're not in the right place. And see, that's where Habakkuk is. He's looking at things and he's saying, wow, I truly am limited. And if I don't bring my limitations into God's strength, I will miss out on joy. And so I ask you today, in what areas of life are you puffed up? You know, the second greatest command for the Christian is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I wonder right now how many of us are more focused often in difficulty on ourselves than what is best sometimes for our neighbor, whatever that may be, not because we necessarily agree with our neighbor on all things, but the first thing we've got to move out in is what is God's expectations over me in this time, not what are my expectations for God and everyone else in this time. When we are puffed up, we complain, we look to blame someone else, and we give ourselves permission simply to be a jerk. Habakkuk is saying, God is saying to Habakkuk, watch out, do not be puffed up. Now, the other philosophy that hopefully we can move into, the second way that we can choose to respond to difficult times is through faith. Now, I love how the New Living Translation captures verse four. Listen to this. Look at the proud. And here was my problem. They trust in themselves. And because they trust in themselves, life is crooked. Life gets messed up when we're the center. But here's the truth. The righteous will live by their faithfulness, the righteous will live by their faith in God. What does that mean when he says the righteous will live by faith? I wanna take a moment and actually go to the New Testament. If you wanna go to Hebrews chapter 11, because see in Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith, the writer of Hebrews both defines what faith is and then gives us some illustrations of how faith works. Because see, if we have the wrong expectations on God and how life is gonna work out, then God isn't gonna make sense. And so the writer of Hebrews gives us a definition, but also shows us how this faith plays out. He starts off in verse one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. Now, what is he referring to? He's talking about God's revelation. Faith is based in the revelation of God. And the fact is, I've never seen God never seen the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of things in my faith I've never seen, but God has revealed these things through his character, but also through his deeds and through his word. And my faith is anchored in the things that I hope for, certain hopes of the future, what God has done, his character, and conviction in those things unseen. Now, the question is, what does that practically look like? Let's get our expectations right. So let's jump into verse 33. And this is the kind of faith that we love to hear about. He's talking about those who live by faith. And he says, those who live by faith, who through faith conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. And we say, yes, and amen, God, would you do that today through this pandemic? Would you end it? Would you come through in victory? Through faith, God does miraculous things through people's lives. But see, that's not all that faith does. Faith does miraculous things, and yet listen to how, from verse 35 on, faith continues to work. Watch this. Women received back their dead by resurrection, but by faith, some were tortured refusing to accept release. 
so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging all by faith, even chains and imprisonment. By faith they were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, this verse ends in a somewhat strange way because it's what it's talking about is that until Jesus, the promised has come, we cannot be made perfect. But the idea in this passage is faith looks like this. Faith sometimes looks like overcoming. (laughs) I mean, in the physical and the emotional and reality, God comes through. But sometimes faith means persevering and trusting God until the point of death. Sometimes faith looks miraculous. Sometimes faith just simply looks like waiting upon the Lord. Because see, the goal of faith is not so much your expectations. It's not so much what you see in the natural world. The goal of faith is to make us perfect in Christ. The goal of faith is not so much what you get, but I hope you'll hear this. The goal of faith is who you're becoming. And in times of difficulty, as you wait, if we wait puffed up, we get puffed up. But if we wait trusting, we become perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. He uses these times to cause us to become the person he wants us to be. Hey, there's a great book that I've been reading. It's called Amazed and Confused. Just this little uh, meditation on Habakkuk. And I love how the author captures the meaning of faith. She says, faith means knowing God can, believing God will, clinging to him even if he doesn't. Faith is not an assurance that everything's going to be okay. It is the assurance that God is in control. And I love that. That's the only way to live. The first thing that faith does in difficult times is simply to wait upon the Lord. And see, this is not a passive thing. Waiting on the Lord is an active thing. Because both faith waits, but see, faith also, here's the second idea, Faith also obeys as it is waiting. So let's jump back again to verse one. And, and Habakkuk gives us this metaphor that describes what faith looks like. And he captured it this way. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look and see what God, what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now the idea here is that really of a soldier. The language is the description of a watchtower, a tower looking out to see what is coming. What he's describing is the position of a soldier. Now in North America, we don't have many walled cities. I can only think of one, which is Quebec City. In Europe, you have many walled cities. And in walled cities, you have towers. And the purpose of those towers is for those soldiers to stand their guard at the watch post. Now when a soldier is standing guard, they're not thinking, you know, what am I getting out of this? They're not thinking, maybe they are, uh, my superior officer's a fool. Why am I here? The goal of a soldier is to complete their duty. The goal of a soldier is to know this is my identity. This is where I need to be. I'm waiting and I'm fulfilling my purpose. Habakkuk's using this language to say in times of difficulty, as we're wrestling with God, there's a time in which we need to stand firm. 
We need to learn what it means for us, in a sense, to take the hit of our false expectations and turn our expectations back to God and take our limitations and draw them into his unlimitedness and begin to experience the rekindling of joy. Habakkuk says we have to learn what it means in these times to obey. Now, let me unpack just a little bit what that means for us. And if you'll turn to uh, Romans, actually, no, we're not gonna go to Romans yet. I fooled myself. We're actually gonna go to Job. In Job chapter 13, he captures it this way. And I love this verse. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And yet listen to this. I will argue my ways to his face. God, I'm going to obey. And yet I'm going to question and wrestle with you in your presence. That's even the language of faith. It's obedience but it's obedience pressing in and honesty and trusting him. So we need to wait on him. Second, we need to learn to obey in those times of difficulty. But here's the third idea I wanna jump to, that faith is putting your story into God's story. Faith means waiting, it means obedience. But see, here's how this obedience happens. You've got to change your expectations and put your story into God's story. Again, this idea comes out of verse one. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out and see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, the reason a city would build a tower is to see what's coming. Because in the tower, you've got a perspective that no one on the ground has. So if an army's advancing and there's someone in the tower and everybody in the town, they're going crazy, they're running around, they're afraid because they know they're outnumbered. Well, the watchman, the watchwoman in the tower, she sees and she looks out, yep, the army's coming, we are overwhelmed. And yet I can see off in the distance, reinforcements are coming. And the heartbeat and the emotions and the will of the one in the tower is very different from the will of the one who simply on the ground because they see things better. What Habakkuk is describing is what this means to to live by faith. And he's saying, sometimes I've gotta take my expectations. I've gotta take the armies that are coming against me, my financial pressures, my emotional pressures. I've gotta get them up into the tower and I need to start seeing things from God's perspective. I need to start writing my story from God's vantage point and not assuming my story from my vantage point. I've got to get my mind into the tower. That's what Habakkuk's doing. In chapter two, we're going to see this next week as God condemns the idols of the Babylonians. Here's Habakkuk and he's simply saying, God, nothing's changed, nothing's better. And yet I want to get my mind into your perspective. I want to get into the watchtower and see things as you see them. So let's again unpack what that looks like. And here we go. Now we're going to go to Romans chapter eight, verse 18. Here's how Paul captured it. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. This word I consider means I add it up, I calculate it, I bring it together. Now we think of the apostle Paul, certainly in the Christian church as someone who is successful. And yet I don't think I would want his success if it means living his life. I mean, he saw some miraculous things, exciting things. He saw Jesus resurrected. And yet the suffering and the hardship that Paul had to go through to experience the character he walked in and also the power he experienced was harsh. 
And as Paul's reflecting, I don't think this verse came upon him in one day. I think this is the kind of verse that comes out of you after a lifetime. He's looking at all the things he's lost. He's looking at the people who died, the people who were martyred. He's looking at the pain, the, the loss of experience with kids, the loss of finance, and he's adding it up. He's taking all these burdens, these false expectations, these anxieties, and he's saying, God, I'm gonna meet you in the watchtower. I'm gonna see things from your perspective, and I'm gonna gaze out at the glory that's to come. Instead of staying down here with everyone that's running around and things are bad, I'm gonna get my mind up where you are. I wanna see things from your perspective. And from that vantage point, he looks at his suffering and he goes, you know, it was bad. I hated it. It broke my heart. And yet, God, I see what is coming is so much greater, so much more beautiful, so much more satisfying. I feel that my limits, my limitations are being overwhelmed by your strength and I'm starting to experience joy. See, James captured it that way. To have this kind of vision requires seeing things from God's perspective to say, for James, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith, it's producing steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God is not idle. God is at work. And this idea of counting it joy is only possible when you're willing to take your struggles and your difficulties and see things from God's perspective and start saying to God, listen, God, I thought A, B, and C were essential. It seems like you're telling me they're not. I'm really uncomfortable with that. And yet, instead of just seeing things from my vantage point, instead of throwing my expectations of you, uh, at you, Father, I wanna get up in the watchtower I wanna see things from your perspective. This is the reason we have to in this time to get deeper and deeper into scripture. If you're not reading through a book of the Bible right now, you need to start. If you're not in the Psalms on a daily basis, if you're not in the Proverbs on a daily basis, these are the places that broken men and women take their despair so they can see things from God's perspective. We've gotta start hiding our story into God's story because that's what it means to live by faith. Faith waits, faith obeys, faith hides our story into God's story. And listen, faith loves to read the Lord of the Rings. Let's just be honest. I mean, right now I'm actually going through it. I, I've told people I'm going to try to keep this streak going. I think this is week five, a quote from J.R.R. Tolkien. But there is an amazing, I want to tell you, amazing quote in, I think it's the third part, which is the return of the king. It describes Frodo, it describes Sam, and Sam is in this really hard place. He's gone through all these experiences and this moment of transformation happens and I, I think it really does describe and it pictures what God does in us when we go through difficult times. And here's what it says. But even as hope died in Sam or seemed to die, it was turned to a new strength Sam's plain hobbit face grew stern, almost grim as the will hardened in him. And he felt though all his limbs, felt through all his limbs a thrill as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles could subdue. Notice the language again, but even as hope seemed to die, even as hope, even as the trail, because the expectations, if, if Frodo and Sam knew what was coming, they wouldn't have gone. 
If they allow their expectations of how this is supposed to turn out, how my life is supposed to go, what's supposed to happen, how easy this is supposed to be, the fact is they would have stopped long before they ever entered into Mordor. They wouldn't have gone. But the fact is there was a moment in which hope began to die. But see, it's not really that hope was dying. A new hope was coming to life. A new reality was taking place. What's happening is you're learning to stand firm. You're learning to wait. You're learning to take your expectations and put them into God's story. And because of that, you are being turned into a creature that neither despair nor weariness nor endless barren miles can subdue. What Tolkien describes is the process of sanctification in the life of a man or a woman who's willing to say, God, Right now, it's so easy to be puffed up. I look out into the world right now, everyone has a better idea than someone else in terms of what we need to do. And rather than focusing so much on what we need to do first, let's focus on who we need to become. And are we willing to take our expectations and our brokenness and bring them into God's presence? Even if life is great right now, are you willing to say, God, I wanna be there for someone else? I wanna love you with all my heart, but I wanna learn right now in this time to have that Easter generosity, to love my neighbor as myself. What does it look like maybe with my expectations right now in terms of what needs to happen? Would you take those, maybe put them aside just for a minute, enter into the expectations of others? Maybe listen to someone who disagrees with you in terms of what needs to happen because the power of the gospel shows up when we are willing to enter into the weakness of others. And sometimes we become their strength. Sometimes like God comes into our lives, we allow them to see the truth of who God is. But it happens as we are willing to take our limits and push them into God's limitlessness and allow him through the journey of life to transform us into a creature that neither despair nor frustration can overcome. I'm not sure where you are right now, but wherever you are today, would you just simply say, Lord, I I wanna wait for you. I wanna wait on the Lord. I wanna, as Psalm 27 says, I wanna be strong, I wanna take heart, and I wanna wait for the Lord, which means I wanna stand where I am and be obedient. I wanna take my expectations and put your story, I wanna make it my story. I wanna change the narrative that I'm saying to the people around me and start speaking the truth of who you are. And then in that, Father, would you take this lump of coal And through the pressure of time, would you cause it to become a diamond? God is at work and through faith, his goal is to make you perfect. But church, hey, would we just surrender to that? Would we rest in it? And God is the one who promises to do the rest. He is in control, we are not. And the place of joy is finding his strength is sufficient and his power is better than my weakness. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the reminders throughout scripture. You're telling us to wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart. Jason, wait for the Lord. That is not passivity, Father. There is nothing greater, no more active strength than waiting upon you. Trusting in your promises, trusting in your character, looking to you for grace. And then Father, in times of weakness, moving out in generosity, that's the time we need to move. Not when we feel strong, but in moments of weakness, because that's where your power and presence shows up to bring life and light to others. I pray this week, Father, we would move out in a new direction to listen to others, to allow the truth of the gospel of your power perfected in our weakness to show up. And would we by faith trust 
that the reason we are accepted by you, Father, is simply through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection alone. And if somebody today has never said, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and the gospel, I pray today, Holy Spirit, would you empower them just to say, Father, accept me on the basis of Christ and Christ alone. I come with nothing in my hands, only to the cross I cling. Father, through the Holy Spirit, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Resurrect me to newness of life and allow me to walk on that path that neither despair or frustration can kill, but rather that path that makes us into the person you want us to become. Guide us in that truth this week, Father, in Jesus' name.